Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. And now sings my soul, you never let me go. But today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're continuing to look at this wonderful little letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he started in a city called Philippi. Hence the name of the book. People in Philippia or Philippi were called Philippians. Calgary, Calgarians, Airdrie, Airdronians, that kind of thing. That's where the name of the book comes from. The, the people he was writing to were from this city. And, and over the course of the first couple of weeks as we've looked at this book, we've sort of discovered a theme that's been pulled out of this book for us. This, this theme that's come out that's looking at the importance of life in the here and now that our life here matters. The things we do in our life matter. That the way we live out our Christian faith matters. Our lives can't be just lived in this waiting pattern for heaven. That somehow we just live with this like, well, one day we're going to get to heaven and that's really all that matters and that's really all that counts. Our lives here and now, they're not just about praying this prayer so that we know when we're going to go when we die. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we do have the assurance of where we're going to go when we die. But that the way that we live now still matters. It still has an impact. It's not just waiting for that day. Our lives are, are meant to be about something, about demonstrating something. That we're called to live as citizens of this other place. Last week, we talked about how we're called to live as citizens of the gospel. And that means that our lives are meant to be lived with unity and humility, with honor for others and love for others. The, the same mindset that, that caused Jesus to allow himself to be crucified for other people. He wasn't crucified for himself. He was crucified for other people. And, and Paul will say, live with that same mindset when it comes to other people. Live with that same idea of what other people mean inside of your lives. And this week, we're going to continue to journey down this road, the same journey on this, looking at what it means to live our lives in the here and now. But this week, we're going to tackle it in a little bit of a different way. This week, we're, we're actually going to maybe tear down some of the ideas of, of what makes our lives meaningful and valuable inside the kingdom of God. And as a citizen of heaven, what makes our lives matter and meaningful? That's what we're going to talk about today and perhaps maybe tear down a little bit of some of the things that, that we hang our hat on. And Paul begins to address this topic in chapter 3 of Philippians, starting at verse 4, when he says, though, myself, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Obviously, this is a, a spot where I need to provide you some context. Um, because like our passage last time, this, this verse actually begins in the middle of a sentence. 
That the beginning of this sentence is actually found in verse 3, and then we start reading in verse 4, literally right in the middle of a sentence. And so we, to understand fully what Paul's talking about here, we need to provide a little bit of context. And in the first couple of verses of Philippians chapter 3, Paul's writing to this church, he's writing to this body of believers that he helped begin to, to make sure, and he's, he's reminding them and encouraging them, keep your eyes and your theology, and by extension, the source of your salvation on Christ alone. See, there were some people who had started to come to the church and, and attend the church and began to have influence inside of the church, and their message to the people in the church was, Jesus? Yeah. But also, and, and specifically what they began to teach was that uh, as the church, that sure you need Jesus. Absolutely, that we all agree you need Jesus. But there's also these other things that you need to do if you want to be saved. And specifically, this was in relation to circumcision, a part of the Old Covenant. And that's, it's a family service, so that's all I'm going to say about that. But Paul says that we who are in Christ, we don't put our confidence in these things that we can do in the flesh, that we can do with our bodies, our, our actions, our words, the things that we can do on our own, we don't put any confidence in those things to cause us to receive salvation. We recognize that we cannot do this, that if it's left up to us, we will fail. And so Paul says in verse 3, right before this, he says, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. He says, we cannot have our hope in what we do, in what we've done. And Paul takes it a little deeper. He says, just in case you, you think I'm speaking, or I'm not speaking from experience, or that somehow I'm trying to, to justify my own failures, you know, don't look over here. That stuff doesn't matter. The, you may have noticed I'm not the tallest person in the world. So it's a firm belief in my life that height doesn't matter. But you know who doesn't say that? Tall people. God, yeah, God doesn't say that. When he picked Saul, it was because he was a head taller than everybody else. No. As, as a short person, it's like, height doesn't matter. And, and we, but Paul's not doing that. He's not saying like, oh, and just so you know, your past history, it doesn't matter. And I really hope that's true because my past history is a mess. He's not saying height doesn't matter because I'm short. He's, he's saying we cannot put confidence in our own righteousness, and I should know. Because if anyone has a reason for putting confidence in their flesh, in their own righteousness, in the things as they were, the things they had done, it was me. And, and this is what he, he says, uh, this is what meaning it has when he said, though myself I have such or so, though I myself have such reasons for, or have reasons for such confidence, there we go. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. If, if that kind of confidence was valid, if, if that was a true thing about our state as believers, I would be set. I would be able to say, look at me, I've got it all together. I would have all kinds of confidence. I would have no doubt in my salvation because I had it all. I did it all. 
and he begins to list the reasons that he should have all of this. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He goes through all of these things that made him special in the eyes of the religious establishment, in the eyes of of the church, in the eyes of God followers. These are all of the things that set me apart. And he says, you know, some people might have had some of these, but good luck finding somebody who had all of them, except for me. I had all of these things. Paul, as we'll walk through them a little bit. Paul says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. I said we weren't going to talk about it more and we're not, but just for now. Um, Now, to be fair, ultimately Paul can't take credit for this. He didn't sit up in his crib at eight days old and say, Mom and Dad, we need to have a talk. Do you know what it says in Leviticus chapter 12? Let's get on this. That Paul can't take credit for that. But what Paul is is saying here, what Paul is showing here, is that he came from good stock. He came from the right kind of family, with the right kind of parents. That it wasn't just Paul who was good. It was Paul's family that was good. He started out right. Paul says, I didn't need to have a turn to God moment. Now, that may sound ironic coming from Paul, since he had probably the single most famous turn to God moment. But in in an eye of self-righteousness, he said, from the very beginning, I had it together. The very first thing I had to do, nailed it. And then from there on, he nailed it. Essentially, right out of the womb, he was good. And it wasn't just that his parents were good. He says that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Why does this matter? Of all the tribes of Israel, only Benjamin was loyal to the house of Judah when it split from the northern tribe. Benjamin was the only son of Jacob to be born in the promised land. And he was the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. Israel's first king, who had the same Hebrew name as Paul, Saul, was a Benjamite, or Benjamite. And Jerusalem, the capital city of God's chosen people, is situated in the land that had been allocated to the tribe of Benjamin. So he was saying, I'm not some boring old Reubenite. I'm not some from some tribe. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. My ancestors had it right. Jerusalem is in my land. I go, not just my parents, but you go back. My family lineage had their stuff together for generations. And Paul continues to demonstrate the power of his lineage and his family, his stock, when he says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. What this means is that the same things were true of his mom and his dad. That he's not just saying, look at my dad's side of the family. Everything, don't ask about my mom's side. Don't ask, don't, don't ask about those people. They're, they're the weirdos of the family. But my dad's side, ask about that. He's saying, ask about my mom. Ask about my dad. Both sides of the family. Everybody. We were were doing this not just for one generation or one side of the family, but for both sides, for generations. If you want to talk about family, heritage, being from the right side of the tracks, Paul was it. Paul had it. And you couldn't question it. But then Paul says it's, it's not just that he was born into the right circumstances. He was born right to the right parents and the right lineage and the right family. But then he kept doing everything right. 
he says, in regard to the law, Pharisee. Paul had been not just a Pharisee, but an enthusiastic Pharisee. One of the strictest Jewish sects. The, the word Pharisee actually means separated ones. And that's how they saw themselves, that they were religiously separated, not into a different religion, but that they were better at their religion than anybody else. That they were separate from the common Jews because of how good they were at being Jews. Paul wasn't just an ordinary Pharisee. He had studied and trained under the famous and highly respected Rab, or Rabin Gamaliel. I know you know that name. I know you think, wow, I didn't know that. Okay, trust me, he was famous. He was a big deal. It, it would be like you know, somebody saying, well, you know, I, I was an intern at, at, at Rick Warren's church. I, I, I learned how to preach from Billy Graham. That, you know, that kind of like invoking like the, the name of somebody else to give yourself credibility. And Paul talks about how he did that, that this was who he studied under. This was like the famous guy. Paul had devoted his life. He had separated himself to the religious observ observance of the Old Testament law and taught and practiced by the Pharisees, through the Pharisees, by the best Pharisees. And in case you were wondering about Paul's passion for his righteousness away from studying, Paul says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Paul devoted his life to searching for Christians and having them arrested and imprisoned or even killed, hoping to destroy the church. When we're first introduced to Paul, who's called Saul in Scripture, it, it's him giving approval to the killing of one of the apostles, Stephen. And when Paul meets Jesus, he was on his way to Damascus, not for a vacation, not to get away from all of the killing, but to go and do more of it, to find and arrest more Christians. Many years later in the book of Acts, Paul is standing before Herod Agrippa, and Paul describes what his zeal, what his life looked like. Listen to Paul in his own words talk about his past. He says, And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This is Paul talking about who and what he did before he met Jesus. This is, is his, his zeal. His passion, his fervor for God was causing him to go around and literally kill people because he thought it was what he was supposed to do. And lastly, Paul says that for him, it wasn't just all of the things that he was or all of the things that he had accomplished in his life, but he did stuff right too. He says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, it's important to understand here that in calling himself faultless, Paul, or based on the law, Paul is not making some kind of grand proclamation that he was sinless before coming to Christ. He's not listing off all of these things and then comes to the end of the list and says, oh, by the way, I was also perfect. I did all of these, and, and oh, by the way, I never sinned either. 
Chew on that for a while. That's not what he's saying. The term faultless or blameless here, the way that he uses it, it's a standard description of old covenant, old law followers who, who did a really good job in keeping the Old Testament law. They were those who kept up with the festivals and the Sabbaths, tried to put the commandments into practice daily, and offered proper sacrifices to atone for their sin. And, and all of this was Paul's way of saying, look, if you want to compare resumes, let's do it. If, if anyone thinks that in order to be saved, you needed Jesus and, whatever it was that would come after that and, I had it. Whatever it is that they would say, you need Jesus and, I had that and. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter what they're going to say, I had it. A good family, the right stock, a heritage of righteousness came from the right people, in the right place. He went to all of the right schools. He ran in the right circles. He was looked up and respected in religious circles. He was passionate and dedicated to his righteousness. He, he lived out everything he preached. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. You want to know what self-achieved righteousness looks like? Paul says, look at this. Look at me. Whatever it is that you are striving to be, I was already it. I was that. And the reason why this is so important is because as believers in Jesus, we, we can know the right thing to say, and we can be, be tempted. We, we put our hope and our faith in Jesus, but our trust in our salvation can come down to look at me. The, we, we say, my hope and my faith is in Jesus, but look at me is how I do my trust. That I look at my life and I say, look, I'm earning my salvation. I know it's only the gift of Jesus, but, but look how hard I'm working for my salvation. Maybe you can be tempted to, to hang your hat on your testimony. Like Paul could about his family. Maybe you grew up in the church had all the right opportunities and options. Missions, trips, and youth group, you did them. Always knew the right answer in Sunday school. You can say of your life, I have done this since I was in diapers. I got this. I know how to do this. I know how to be right. Or, or maybe your testimony is the other way around. That you won't believe how bad I was. How messed up I was. How often I turned away from God. Or how dark my testimony was. I remember being keenly aware of the importance of this dark testimony when I was young. Um, when I was a kid, I would go to, to summer camp, and one of the nights at camp, they would have this time where it was like a testimony time, and they had a fire, and, and you could like take a stick and you'd throw it in the fire and you'd tell your testimony, and I couldn't have been more than like eight or nine at the time, maybe ten. Um, but I knew that in order to have a strong, powerful testimony, I need to talk about how bad I was. But I grew up in the church, and I didn't really know what being bad was. But I knew the language that I was supposed to say. And so, I don't know, eight, nine, maybe ten at the high end years old, I got up and I threw my stick in the fire. And I began to tell about all of these times I had walked away and turned away from God. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that that's what you're supposed to say when you tell your testimony. And so I began, oh, and, and when I was six, I, I went through a deep season of turning my back on God. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that other people said that and people seemed to respond to it. 
And so we can do that with our testimonies. We can, we can hang our hat on like, oh, I was bad. I was terrible. Oh, God saved me out of so much. We can hang our, our, our hat or hang our life on the incredible story of how God saved me from all of the bad stuff or saved me in all of the bad stuff. Or, or we can look at our Christian resume. We can say, do you have any idea how many times I've taught Sunday school? Or do you know how many times I've done sound? Or how many times I sang on the worship team? Or how many small group Bible studies I've been a part of? Do you want to compare tithing receipts? Because I'll show you how committed I am to this. Whatever you got here, you can now, or whatever got you here, you can now confidently say, I am living this life. I am doing it. I am living my life for God, and I have the receipts to prove it. But when Paul looks at his life, and he sees all of this stuff, he has a really surprising reaction to it. All of this stuff that we look at, we look at it as good and right and signs of maturity and growing in Christ. But Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. Now, before we get into to the next little thing, I want to pause here because there's two little things that I want to draw out of this verse for you to, to help you understand really the depth of what Paul is saying here. First, in verse 7, Paul will talk about gains and losses. He will talk about everything that I once consider a gain, I, I now consider a loss. And there's this other famous verse in Scripture where someone talks about gains and losses. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus will say, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And in verse 7 of, of Philippians 3, Paul is using the exact same language. In fact, he uses the exact same words for loss and gain that Jesus did. He, he's, like he, he's making a parallel between what he's saying here and what Jesus, what Jesus said, that he had gained all of the ability to say, look at what I've done. Look at, look at everything I had gained throughout the story of my life, all of this amazing testimony, all of this amazing resume, everything I had gained to point to all that he had done and all that he was doing, all that he had been and all that he is now. But now he realizes that it all wasn't what he thought it was. And instead of what he thought were gains in his life, he now looks at them and sees them as a loss. He says, I gained the whole religious world. But in doing that, I somehow lost my soul. And, or, but the other thing that I want to highlight for you is sort of, is this, the word that we translate as garbage. Now, I, I don't know what word potentially your Bible uses. Garbage is, is the most common one. Um, but some other translations will use words like rubbish or filth or worthless. Sometimes we sanitize the Bible. 
Sometimes we, we, we don't necessarily like the words that are used in the Bible, and so we, we really try to clean them up and dress them up so that they're appropriate to say in church. But if you want to get the most literal translation of what this word means, to, to show you or where Paul's really at with his understanding of what all of this self-righteousness was, to show you it, I can't actually use the word. Because if I was to say the word, you would be offended. You would say, can't say that in church. I'm not coming back here anymore. I can't believe the pastor said that. The closest place you will find the word that is used here is in the good old King James Version and a few others where it reads, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Now if you don't know what dung means, if you're a kid and that word is unfamiliar to you, ask mom and dad later. They'll, <laughs> they'll appreciate that. Now, what on earth is going on here? What, what is taking place inside of this scripture? Because there isn't a single thing here at the root of which is a bad quality to have. Now, granted, murder for the sake of our religion is not okay. Don't hear that this morning. Don't, what, did you, what did the pastor talk about to church today? He said it was okay if we kill people as long as it's in Jesus' name. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not, we're not, but Paul's, Murder of Christian people was not okay. But the passion that led him to do it is what I mean. At the root of that, it was his passion to follow Jesus. The passion was there, his heritage in God. There was nothing wrong with that. His commitment and tireless efforts for God. Nothing wrong with that. Everything that went on, there was nothing wrong. But yet Paul says it's dung, it's garbage, it's worthless. And the extrapolation for our lives... Our testimony, our story in God, our passion, and our sacrifice for the church, everything that we've done, that we have given, that we've served, all that what we've done, and what we would look at as the hallmarks of Christian maturity. And that's really what these things can be seen as, the markers of maturity in our faith. What does a mature Christian look like? They can point to the difference God made in their lives. They're passionate. They're committed. They give. They serve. As a pastor, I look and I say, yeah, that's what I want. Give me a church full of that. We, that's what, I, that's what my, my vision for your life is, that you would continue to grow and mature and you'd see the fruit in your life of growth and maturity and th that that would inspire you to serve more and love more and give more and be committed to the cause of Christ more in your life. I look at that and I go, that's not so bad. But he's calling it garbage. He's calling it a loss. And Paul looks at all of these things and he says, Worthless. They're dumb. Essentially saying they have no value. Now, what could Paul possibly be talking about here? How could this really be all worthless when none of it is bad? Let, let's read it again. It says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I now consider them garbage, 
then he concludes with, that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul was not interested in living his life for Jesus. Paul's passion was to live his life in pursuit of Jesus. Living for Jesus is the same heart that can lead us to Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus says to the people in front of him, depart from me, I never knew you. And they say, but look at all these things we did in your name. Look at all these things we did for you, Jesus. We, we, we cast out demons. We prophesied. We did all of these things so that our lives looked like they belonged to you. We did all of these things for you, Jesus. And Jesus will look at them and say, I'm really sorry. I don't know you. I, I, don't, I don't know you. And Paul will say, I'm not living my life so that my life looks right. I, I'm not living my life so that I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I, I'm not looking at this list of what makes me good and what makes me righteous and making sure I'm doing all of them. I'm not placing the priority in my life on the things that I do. I am just living my life in pursuit of Jesus. I am just every day waking up chasing after Jesus. Every day waking up and saying, I need more Jesus. I want more Jesus. Give me more Jesus in my life. Paul is letting us know that in trying to live our lives for Jesus, to gain relationship with him, we can actually lose the thing we are trying to accomplish. That in trying to live for Jesus, we can actually miss Jesus. So Paul says, all of this stuff, it's not my priority, it's not my intent, it's not my aim. I'm not living to be righteous. I, I'm living for Jesus. Now, in our lives, the overflow of living for Jesus, it's going to look a lot like that list that Paul made. But Paul's saying, don't make these things your aim. Don't try and be a Pharisee. Don't try to live with passion for God. Don't try to be so committed that it hurts. Just try and chase Jesus. And you're going to discover commitment and passion and sacrifice and all of those things. See, I just want Jesus. I just want more Jesus. This is all this stuff. If I, if I live for that, if I make that the focus, if, if I pursue doing stuff for Jesus, it can actually become a distraction from Jesus. I cannot live to serve. I cannot live to give. I cannot live to see my life look a certain way. Paul says, I already had all of that. I already had all of those credentials. I was there. That if this is what we're going to do, I could have stopped. Because I had it all. I had as much as you could to stack up confidence in the flesh. But Paul says, all of those things... All of those credentials, the impressive training and successes, which would have given him reason to boast at one point in his life, he now considers a loss for the sake of Christ. Compared to the priceless privilege and surpassing worth of personally knowing Jesus, all those former things were now considered garbage to him. Paul knows that what he gains by pursuing Jesus was far greater than anything he could have boasted about. I will build my house
Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family we go. I will not trust in the strength of kings. On your promise I will stand. I will shout for joy. I will raise my voice. Hallelujah to Yeah.